continuing with this section on the hindrances. So we had already looked at uh, sense desire and ill will. <coughs> so it carries on with the, uh, the next three. Returning to the remaining hindrances, an antidote to sloth, tina, and torpor, midha, is to develop, quote, clarity of cognition, aloka sanya, which also can be um, translated as the perception of light, like aloka is light and sanya is perception. In the discourses and the vibhanga, clarity of cognition seems to refer to the development of mental clarity. The commentaries take the expression more literally and suggest the use of real light, either from an external source or else light as an internal mental image. And that's what's reflected in the, the, the advice that the Buddha gives to um, Mahamogalana that he uh, refers to later on, where um, it's uh, the, uh, <coughs> the, say, the internal rousing of light, the, the perception of light, is with the, with the thought, as above, so below, as below, so above. So that sort of imagining the light um, uh, that you're experiencing internally as the same as the light like coming from the moon or the sun. And uh, so that it would suggest a, a rousing of the, the, uh, like an internal perception of light. <coughs> you don't lose points for being late for the, Thank you. the class. Such clarity of cognition, quote-unquote, takes place with the aid of mindfulness and clearly knowing, sampajana, which brings into play two essential qualities of satipatthana as a remedy against sloth and torpor. This points back to the fact that satipatthana itself can at times suffice for countering a hindrance. The same is also the case in regard to sensual desire, where contemplation of the anatomical parts or a corpse can act as an antidote. Nevertheless, it needs to be kept in mind that the emphasis in the Satipatthana Sutta is not on actively opposing a hindrance, but on clearly recognizing a hindrance together with the conditions related to its presence or its absence. More active measures are the domain of right effort, samavayamo, another factor of the Noble Eightfold Path. The arising of sloth and torpor can be caused by discontent, boredom, laziness, drowsiness caused by overeating, and by a depressed state of mind. So that's a very commonly um, observed uh, condition of so when someone has a, um, say, a quote-unquote problem with drowsiness, so falling asleep in meditation. Often they might feel like they're quite energetic, or they are uh, they're, they're keen to meditate, but uh, no sooner have they crossed their legs and closed their eyes than they're, yeah, they're conking out, and um, and so uh, it's it's often it's not an issue of of, of, of energy, physical energy. It's not a, a, a question of of alertness, but it's uh, very often a question of self hatred and uh, the mind being self critical, and so that. Um, what uh, the, the, the experience is, so in summary, is that if, 
if if what's going to happen when you watch your mind is like I hate this and I hate that and I hate this and I hate that and that's not right and that's not right and that isn't right either. Well, who really wants to listen to that? So, you know, it just says, oh, well, you know, <clears throat> as they say in English vernacular, sod this for a game of soldiers. Uh, English expression. Like, I've had enough of this. This is this is totally pointless. And the mind just switches off. Like, I have no interest in being around all this negativity. So the mind just... Uh, so often when... Um, the, uh, uh, the someone has a lot of difficulty with drowsiness, and sometimes it can be chronic, you know, for years or decades. Um, it's not a matter of just rousing more energy through will, or hating yourself for being drowsy and falling asleep in the meditation. Uh, often, the, the most effective, um, uh, say, way of, of working with with dullness uh, is to develop more uh, compassion and kindness towards yourself, and. Uh, so it's uh, again. It's a, so, uh, it can be the loving kindness element is the more significant, uh, say, uh, approach rather than say, "I'm going to wake up. I'm going. I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I'm not going to doze off. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. You know, bad meditator. You know, and that uh, you, you, all that kind of self-criticism, even though you can rouse a fair amount of energy uh, based on that, it's still feeding that negativity and self-criticism and, and aversion, and so. It can be just within within moments of closing the eyes, you know, off you off you go. So that's a very um, significant element. Since um, with dullness, in terms of the the hindrances, um, you know, sense desire and aversion, they're really easy to see. It's like they're highlighted, so underlined three times in red, like want, yes, more, good. Or like no hate bad go, <laughs> yeah. It's kind of easy to see those, but mo uh, delusion um, um, states of mind filled with doubt or, or delusion are, are harder to see. They're not. They haven't got quite such sharp edges. And similarly, dullness is uh, particularly uh, tricky to work with because the very means whereby you would work with it. Um, are not available to you because you're not uh, you're not conscious. <laughs> your your mind is dull, so you're not noticing that you're you're becoming dull. So it's one of those areas of uh, of dhamma practice that there's a great variety of skillful means. And um, the, he he quotes a few from this discourse to um, Mahamogalana right here. And I'll I'll speak about a few others uh, in a moment. An effective antidote for these can then be found in a sustained application of energy. The Anguttara Nikaya dedicates an entire discourse to discussing the hindrance torpor, offering a variety of remedies. Initially, presumably, while still maintaining the formal meditation posture, one can attempt to counter torpor by changing one's meditation subject, or else by reflecting on or reciting passages from the Buddha's teachings. Should this not work, one can pull one's ears, massage the body, get up, sprinkle one's eyes with water, look up at the sky, and if torpor still persists, walking meditation should be practiced. So that's a very brief synopsis um, that he, he gives there. And it's a, the background to that, that uh, teaching is, is, a, uh, is interesting as well. It's because Mahamogalana, who became the Buddha's second disciple and um, one of the great arahants, was um, 
uh, was falling asleep in his meditation. So the actual the sutta is called dozing. That's the name of the sutta. It's in the um, Anguttara, uh, Book of the Sevens, Sutta number 61. And in one of those marvelous uh, par- uh, sort of ancient Pali text society translations, the way uh, what happens is that the um, uh, well the Buddha no, the Buddha is off in um, Sumsumaragira, the crocodile grove, and he picks up the fact that Moggallana is miles and miles away, and he's falling asleep in his meditation. So if you've got paranoid problems, like the Ajahn knows I'm sleeping, you might be right. <laughs> Won't be me, but uh, another Ajahn might be keeping your your dullness on their radar. But the Buddha noticed the, uh, the dozing of the Venerable Mahamogalana on his radar and then disappeared from the crocodile grove and appeared in front of Mogalana. And then in the wonderful um, Pali Text Society language of those um, of that era, the Buddha says, Noddest thou, Mogalana? Dozest thou? <laughs> they always use that kind of... Um, antiquated language. Uh, and so then uh, the Buddha proceeds to give uh, Mahamogalana a, a discourse about dullness. And so there are these, these uh, seven different uh, treatments, that's why it's in the, in the Book of the Sevens, that the, the Buddha suggests to Mahamogalana. Um, while he sort of, you know, the Buddha sort of beamed, <laughs> sort of uh, teleported himself in front of Mogalana and is giving him this instruction. So first of all, he says uh, to uh, change the meditation object. So the, um, obviously, you're you're dozing off with what you what, what you are. So changing the meditation object is the first one. Then um, the second one is um, to take a, a different dhamma theme and to uh, to ponder that to reflect on some particular dhamma teaching. The third one is to recite to take a dhamma teaching that you've learnt by heart and to recite that. Then the fourth one is this uh, pulling your ears, and uh, maybe that's why I've got such large ears. I did a lot of ear pulling in a previous life. Uh, pulling your ears and massaging the body. Uh, and then the fifth one is to, um, to uh, look at the stars and to, uh, to uh, get up and, and stretch the legs and uh, to rub water on the eyes, so to... Presuming it's at night time to rub water on your eyes, wash your face, go and look at the stars. Then the um, the sixth one is this um, rousing the aloka sanya to to um, bring up the uh, uh, the perception of light, to try and rouse the an internal perception of light. And then in the commentary it says, "Oh, you just turn on a lamp and and shine light in your face and and, uh, and brighten the light in the place where you're you're staying." And then the, the last one is to do walking meditation. But then also the, uh, the Buddha says to Mahamogalana, which Venerable Annalio leaves out, he says, yeah, if after all of that you're still falling asleep, then go and lie down and take a nap. <laughs> and, uh, and so, uh, but also you know, lie down mindfully and setting in mind the, the time to wake up, then, then mindfully go to sleep. So that was also what the, uh, Ajahn Chah would very, very frequently give the same kind of uh, advice, you know, either abbreviated or, or, or very, very close to this, and um, and say that if after all of that you're still uh, you're still falling asleep, then just go go and lie down and take a nap, and then that'll uh, uh, help to to um, relax the system sufficiently so that the mind can be alert after that. 
Other methods that he doesn't mention here, which are also very effective, is to sit in a dangerous place. So Ajahn Chah would recommend sit on the edge of a well. We don't really have wells here. But, you know, like a, uh, not a little kind of well that's like sort of 10 centimeters, sort of a drill hole, but like a, a well that's like a meter across. And you sit on the edge of it, and if you fall in, it's a long way down, and you can't get out. So um, skillful use of terror. There's nothing, uh, and, and uh, I haven't done it with a well, but um, in 1995, I spent the Rains Retreat in uh, a place in Northern California, um, uh, which had a, up in the, the hills, and it had a 300-foot cliff. And uh, every so often, I go down in the early morning, because I'm, I'm more of a night person. I, uh, I've always had more difficulty staying awake in the morning. And... Um, so sometimes in the early morning I go down and sit on the edge of this cliff and it was 300 feet straight down and I tell you you do not get sleepy <laughs> if you're right you know the, the your knees are at the edge of a 300 foot drop even though underneath you the trees might look kind of like cushions or pillows they are 300 feet below you and you know if you fall 300 feet on top of an oak tree ouch is it's, it's going to hurt? So um, it's um, it's amazing how alert the mind uh, remains when you've got the f uh, fear of death to um, to help you, uh, <clears throat> so that um, you can say skillfully think of uh, ways that you can uh, do that without say and causing our health and safety uh, officers to be too anxious. But uh, sit on the edge of your of your bed or um, to to find a a, um, a way of sitting on the edge of a chair, uh, some way of um, making things a bit more precarious. If you want a more simple and less life-threatening or, or injury-threatening um, process, then one of the uh, uh, simplest things to do is to is to put an object on your head. A matchbox is very good because it makes a noise when it falls. Therefore, you offset your dullness with your vanity. Because if the matchbox falls off, everyone will know. <laughs> oh no, Annie's nodding again. There goes the matchbox. So, so you, because you don't want to look bad in front of your friends, so you, you employ your vanity to, uh, to support your uh, arousal. So that uh, you just balance it. Also the fact that it looks really stupid. That that um, that again it raises the uh, the um, arousal level sufficiently. Of course, you can get quite adept at, at nodding and keeping it in place, <laughs> even while you're semi-conscious. <laughs> but uh, those kind of things. Also, uh, another simple method is if you have a if you uh, hold something like a matchstick between your thumbs. If you have your the thumbs in your lap. The, the fingers are very sensitive. You've got lots and lots of nerve endings in your fingers, so if you don't want to have any embarrassment of a matchbox making a loud noise, you can just have a, a single match between your, your thumbs. And then as the mind starts to go dull, then the, the thumbs will drop and the match uh, falls into your, uh, into your hands and you'll, you'll notice the, the feeling of it. And the reason why those particular methods are useful is because Dullness works uh, just like sleep. It's a kind of sleep state. So it works in a cycle, just like, like uh, sleep. It's a, it's a sort of cyclical process. 
And so if you catch it as the, the cycle begins and you don't don't go uh, don't go into it, you don't sort of get caught in the wave, then it's it's very easy to, to pull out of it. Once you've already followed the wave and you you've dropped into that sleep state, then it's much harder to, to get out. So if you catch it just at the beginning as that is uh, launching and say, oh, there it goes, then uh, then you're much more able to, to pull out of it and to sustain that quality of wakefulness. So that's also helpful to understand with, with dullness because, as I said, when, once you're in a dull state, it's, your capacity to know that you're dull is, is lost to you. <laughs> so uh, it's, a, um, uh, it's a useful thing to, to, to catch it just as it, as it starts. And then, and, I mean, there's there's many many different upayas, skillful means that relate to this area. But another is um, you know, call on your friends, so that if you if nothing else is working, say, Venerable Anejo, as soon as I start to go off, will you just tap me on the knee or poke me in the ribs or or say, Aja? <laughs> and so then your friends in the holy life can uh, help you along. With the, and so, <clears throat> even the, the the effort to say, okay, I've got to take serious measures here. I need help. Even that in itself is a useful thing to recognize that you you can't do this on your own. But um, that's not weakness. That's wisdom. <laughs> and then also that uh, sometimes, even when you've your friend in the holy life is taps you on the knee, you say, "I'm not falling asleep. I'm not." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Then you, you, uh, your own uh, kind of aversion, your in righteous indignation will also help wake you up. Um, and it's it's one of those um, those issues that it, uh, the mind can be very very deluded because you can sometimes you can feel like you're wide awake, um, but it, what's happened is that yes there is a spot of light but it's <laughs> it's narrowed to a tiny little dot, and so that the the subjective feeling can be. I'm wide awake. Oh, this is great. I'm really, aw I'm really awake this morning. Oh, is that the bell already? <laughs> yeah, and I've, I've often told the story of how when I was a, an agarika or a novice in Thailand and I, I casually made the comment one morning, oh, it's really interesting how the, the morning sittings seem to go by much faster than the, the evenings. And they, uh, my fellow novice kind of looked at me and said, well, you know why? And I, I said, why? Well, you're fast asleep. <laughs> You're missing the whole thing. That's why it goes by so quickly. What do you mean? And, and and it was true. I didn't realize I was just kind of conking out. And and so sometimes it, you you really do need your friends to help you. And uh, 